Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with our newly minted relationship with Sate Corporate Training. After 18 months and hundreds of conversations with the leaders, innovators, and the movers and shakers in our city, two things have become abundantly clear. The future of work has arrived, and it always has been all about the people. So whether you're an individual looking to upskill or an organization looking to reskill an entire division, SAIT has the team, the curriculum, and more importantly, the advisors to partner with you to build what you need to adapt for the road ahead. Do yourself a favor and take the time to learn a little bit more. Check them out at www.sate.ca slash corporate training. And more importantly, give them a call, have a consultation, and find out what SAIT can do for you. Alarm collisions, YYC. Welcome to Mr. Stuart McDonald. How are you, Stuart? I'm great. Thanks for having me today. Absolute pleasure having you on. Your Chief Information and Technology Officer over at over at WestJet. Uh, how long you been in? Uh, how long you been in the chair over there? Mm. Uh, well, I've been at WestJet now a bit over three years, okay. uh, and so and, and looking after the, all of the technology team since the beginning of the pandemic. So a bit over a year now. Uh, so all over the, uh, yeah. What, what did we get in? I think we're 36 seconds in before the word pandemic <laughs> showed up in the conversation. <laughs> Yeah, it's a bit difficult to avoid in our industry. It is a topic of conversation on a daily basis. I'm quite sure. If you look yeah. at, it, there's a long list of people that have been negatively affected, but certainly from one, I think we can all, as just humans participating in this world, have a have a link to airlines not being able to travel. What's going to be there when we come back? I don't, we could just do a whole podcast on that. But from the specific side of the technology, how big's your team over? At, let's, let's just give some context because I'm assuming it underpins literally every single thing you guys do over there. Mm-hmm. Correct. And so you know, I think you know, probably I'd preface by saying our team is you know, unfortunately a lot smaller than what it once was. You know, we've gone through quite a significant reduction as we've you know, trimmed the sales you know, in order to sort of get control of our costs and, and make sure that you know we, we, ha- we are a viable competitor in the marketplace as and when we recover. So we're probably just a bit under 200 people right now. Okay. And that was down from just to not to, not to focus on that we've all been through some changes we're, in the last year? Uh, we went through a bit over a 50% reduction. So we we were well over 400 before the beginning of the pandemic. I had uh, Rob Palmer on from the Calgary Airport Authority uh, a few episodes ago, and he chatted about just the numbers of traffic from the airport perspective of literally a drop of 85% uh, traffic in a month. Like, and you think of that as a business perspective, like how, how do you even survive that? <laughs> Well, yeah, the, the difficult thing for us as well is whether we fly 180 planes or 20 planes, all the systems required to keep us safe are all still the same. And so, you know, we, we haven't turned a single system off since the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, but at the same time, we've had you know, a 50% reduction in staff. So it's been you know, quite a challenge uh, for the team. You know, firstly, we, we let some incredible people go. And yeah. so that, you know, that was, you know, that was probably the worst piece of it. But then, you know, just the, the heavy lifting of the team just to keep everything running during this period period of time and keep spirits up and sort of you know, look forward to a day where there is a light at the end of the tunnel. You know, that's been a, you know, an enormous you know, challenge for everybody and they've done an amazing job just, just making that happen. I think it's such a it's such a reality to call out that just because you know a certain degree or amount of people had to had to go home doesn't mean the work dropped proportionately. So the people that were left, there, there was still a lot of things to do. And I think a lot of companies have suffered with that. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Um, just quickly, of course, professional creeper I am, uh, looking at your LinkedIn profile, just curious the perspective of being abroad and being in Calgary. Obviously, um, maybe the accent's a giveaway that you're not from Calgary, uh, maybe originally, but I really, you've got some really interesting international experience. So I'm always curious 
like coming from those markets to Calgary, learning curve, ad- adoption phase. Uh, I'm always curious where we sit. You know, it's easy to think where we are in the world and who we are and what we're about, but that view from the outside can be really powerful. So maybe just going back a few years when you made that decision to come to Calgary, how was that from a cultural perspective, even just in the world of digital? I guess we could go down a list here. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I think, yeah, firstly, I, I'm actually now officially a Canadian uh, as of two days ago. So oh, I, I welcome. My, welcome. Maybe, may I be one of the list to welcome you here? Yeah, so I, I got my Canadian citizenship after a number of years in the process. So it was uh, it's actually quite exciting on that respect. That's, uh, That's awesome. Been a lo- been a long time coming and a, and a long planned process to make that happen. So I was um, all done virtually. So it's all digital now. So the, the, the ceremony and the oath giving is all, all online as a part of the process. And there was... I think myself, my, my, my wife and my two boys, um, and 43, uh, 40 other people from 17 different countries all being sworn in uh, two days ago. So oh, I think that's, that, well, c- congratulations. That must have been a, uh, yeah, that's very cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, the only problem was, is they, they then cut up my permanent residency card and say, well, we, when the passport offices are open, you can reapply for a passport again. Uh, so, so, so now that we've, so now I, that we got you, we're not letting you leave for a while. That's what I'm hearing. Leave, yes. <laughs> so I think that's probably wasn't the most well thought through process, but it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I've, I've, I've worked in a lot of different countries, um, all over the world. Um, I've spent yeah, a long period of time in Asia, uh, up through uh, Europe, Middle East. I had three years in Libya at one point in time in North Africa uh, with my own company. So I've I've been in a lot of a lot of locations. And before Canada, I was in Hong Kong for a number of years, uh, working originally for Cathay Pacific uh, on on that side, and then as the the chief information officer for the leading telecommunications company there in Hong Kong. So I sort of swapped industries and countries at the same time. You know, my last my last team in Hong Kong were entirely Cantonese. So you know, leading, a, leading a group of non-English speaking background is sort of a primary language. You, know, you have to adapt and change as part of that process. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I moved across to Toronto uh, and then you know, spent uh, a number of years uh, with one of the banks on Bay Street. And so you know, in financial services, which is you know, an interesting interesting industry, um, I would say far less fulfilling than aviation because okay. the nice thing about aviation is it's visceral, it's tangible, you see it. Yeah, and, and the great thing about you know, aviation is it's real time. The, the bad thing about aviation is it's real time. <laughs> so you, you trend on Twitter very quickly as well. So it yes. does, does create a sense of immediacy. You know, the, if, if a branch in a bank goes down for a couple of minutes, no one cares. You know, for us, that all of a sudden could be you know, 10 delayed planes. So it's a little bit of a different challenge for us. And then from, from Toronto out to Calgary. So, you know, I sort of, it's interesting and I would say managing a team in, Toronto is different from managing a team in Calgary. Okay. You know, there's you know, definitely a, an, an east-west divide that I've seen. Yeah, I think that's, you know, <laughs> there's, I wouldn't say there's a chip on the shoulder in either the east or the west, but there's definitely a different views from the east and the west. Mm-hmm. Um, I, pre- I appreciate that. It's something that does come up on occasion on the show. <laughs> so I think, yeah, I think that's been an interesting piece of, you know, getting that sort of, um, you know, uh, Encouragement into the team because it's, you know, I would say the team I work with now is probably one of the best I've worked with in the world. You know, we've just been doing, we've just released some, some applications to allow our, our employees to sign up for antigen testing at both the airport and the campus locations. Okay. And we were able to, you know, work with Microsoft and we were able to get it out in two weeks and everybody else has been taking up to six weeks to get this done. And so I think there's this, you know, sense of, um, you know, 
that there's a difference between East and West, even within skill sets. But my observation is that the, you know, talent knows, knows no geographic boundary. Okay. And uh, I think it's about, you know, encouraging that. I do have teams that are in Toronto as well. So I've got people sort of spread everywhere now. And that's one of the benefits, I think, of the pandemic is we can pick up people from all over the world, which is, which is great. But, um, I think, yeah, definitely adjusting into the environment where it's, you know, a, a sense of, you know, difference being here in Calgary from Toronto. Uh, but then, you know, pointing out to the team that that's, you know, I, I don't think we're that different, but equally, I don't think there's any fundamental difference in skill sets. Uh, and if anything, um, there's probably some, some better skills I have access to here that I didn't have on Bay Street. That's really interesting to hear because oftentimes I have a lot of you know startups or kind of mid-sized companies and the talent gap, depending on, again, it's very role specific, is is very real for a lot of companies, especially when they're getting into a little bit more seniority, that 10-year product engineer, that 10-year full stack developer. That's where I've been hearing a lot of the gap from people. But now COVID has changed the whole perception of where you need to be to create value as well, which I think is quite interesting. It is. And I think, you know, people have this sort of artificial view of, um, like if, if you take the banks and you know, if you look at the, the general resources that work in the banking industry, they, they rotate amongst themselves. So they just sort of go from one bank to the next or, you know, and sort of this, this big carousel of mediocrity. <laughs> Stuart, <laughs> thank, thank yeah. you for your honesty, sir. <laughs> and so they're not, they're not bringing new ideas to the table. Yeah, so this, so this, 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 if you look, and if you look at the Canadian banking system, they're all very similar. Um, there's, there's not, not, not a lot to differentiate them and because they just sort of rotate around and transplant the same material. And I think at least, you know, the plus of, of Calgary is there's a more, more diversity, uh, more diversification in the industries. You know, it still is a very heavy oil and gas focus, mm-hmm. which, you know, I think is you know, one of the, one of our challenges to sort of, you know, growth is that we, we have to have that diversification. But, you know, you are still bringing in people with different viewpoints, uh, as opposed to more of the same. So, uh- I like you brought up the oil and gas and I've had some recent guests are certainly chatting about like, we've got some very skilled over individuals over, over here that maybe have, you know, reservoir engineer experience, but back behind the scenes, they actually really have a good handle on data. So when you look at your hiring, are you guys at that point where you're really trying to filter? There might be this, like, I've got my resume, which tells a story, but doesn't always tell the whole story. How is that even as a company like yourselves, 200 people, you're hiring team members all the time. How, like, I guess, are you guys doing it and how much extra effort does it take to look beyond maybe the past job titles to go, well, what does this person actually really know how to do and how could that benefit us? Because it sounds easy, but it's hard when it comes to like the churn of hiring. Well, I think um, maybe I have a sort of a unique perspective because I've been in so many different industries. And so I'm, I'm a, yeah, you know, they're all the same. There's nothing unique about them. And I know, and I'm sure all of my aviation colleagues will go, no, 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 we're special. But it's, you know, at the end of the day, every industry is the same. They fulfill a service, they assure a service, and they bill a service. And underpinning that is data. There's, you know, customer relations management systems. There's billing systems. They're all, you know, the patterns are the same. And so, okay, the service itself might be different, but the mechanics behind it, the technology, um, all of that's slowly becoming homogenized over many, many years. And there's, mm-hmm. there's unique things around fuel purchasing or you know, weight, weight and load balancing on an aircraft and things that are very niche to, to the industry, but they're on the peripheral. Whereas the core is you could find in any, in any company at the end of the day. Uh, which means the nice thing about that is then you have access to a range of people in a lot of different industries because they'll have at least seen something very similar to what we do. 
Right, but they might have solved, a, they might have tweaked a certain problem and then they could bring that forward and go, hey, when I was in this industry doing this exact same thing, this is how we maybe modified it to solve and the value of the crossover. Your business is still business at the end of the day and there's a backbone there that isn't a complete unique butterfly every time. Mm-hmm. It is, and like we're, every industry is regulated in one form or another. So we have to be, you know, be conscious of that from a, how we implement systems to make sure that they meet their regulatory compliance. So that there's no differences there either. Yeah. And then, yeah, I think you know, we have a, you know, a very strong safety culture, obviously, but so, so does oil and gas. So there's a lot of other industries have a very strong safety culture. So I think it's the, as much as there's, there's, I love the industry for that physicality and the fact that you can see the planes and we can see the cause and effect when we do things. Um, behind the scenes, uh, I could I could transplant pretty much anybody from any industry, and they'd be affected within the first couple of months. Oh, that's interesting to hear. That's that's encouraging to me as we think about you know ultimately it's always about do we have the right people to do the thing we need to do, and the more flexible we can be around that and not be limited. Well, well, if you don't have experience in my exact industry, I potentially aren't going to find the same value in working with you. Uh, curious around you, you touched on it. You know, banks highly regulated regulated for good reason. Um, you talk about the aviation industry. You have you know obviously a high degree of regulations due to safety because back to the physicality of it. If something goes wrong at the bank. Anyways, I won't. I won't run that through. If something goes wrong with a plane, things can go horribly wrong really quickly. When it talks about like digital transformation, which is a buzz term, but innovation and change, how do you guys balance that out? Because that feels like you might have some amazing ideas, but then do they ever die in the vine just because the amount of regulations and and, and navigation you have to do to get through this good idea of seeing the light of day, especially over the last twelve months? I can only imagine that it's just been like, how do we improve but yet be held back at the same time? Yeah, oh, I mean, it's interesting. Like, you know, definitely the last 12 months have you know, created a focus that hasn't been there before. And so for us to you know, provide you know, additional safety as you travel through an airport is how do we get to an, uh, an area of contactless travel you know, from everything from checking in to putting your bags in to, to going through you know, the, the security clearance areas and through the gates and onto the aircraft. And there's actually multiple parties involved in that discussion. You know, there is you know, clearly us in terms of applications to do the check-in process itself, but you know, you've got um, you know, the border security pieces through CBSA, you've got Transport Canada, you've got the airport authorities, you've got CATS, or all, all different people playing in the mix who have different needs and requirements. Mm-hmm. And historically, it's been a case of having to negotiate one-on-one with all of them to try and come up with an end-to-end process. And, and that's been a little bit like molasses. You know, I think you know, in this last year, you know, and I've spent a lot of time with, with Transport Canada and Public Health and, and CBSA, and a lot of time with my counterparts over at Air Canada as well, because at the end of the day, we're trying to solve a problem for all Canadians, not just a, a WestJet problem or an Air Canada problem or, or other. Because ultimately, and ultimately the, the customer is the universal truth, right? <laughs> It is, but yeah, you know, if we can solve this contactless problem, we can solve it for planes, trains, and automobiles. This is not just an industry issue either. Right. Um, so whether you're going into a sporting stadium for an event or a concert, and so I think there's there's some incredible opportunities that we can work on together um, to make this happen. And you know, it's it's a little bit difficult because you know, each of the government departments act a little bit different. Um, they have different drivers and needs as part of that process as well. And you know, I think it's about how do we, with, in addition with the airport authorities, you know, come up with a coordinated front that says, look, this is what we want to do. We think this provides safety for our traveling guests. And ultimately, um, we'll, we'll change some of the government legislation that goes with that. And if we are seeing them a lot more amenable to some of those changes. We do have some trials coming up shortly around 
um, digital identity as you get onto the aircraft, just to remove one extra touch point as you're getting into the process of you know, showing your driver's license as you get on a plane. Mm-hmm. You know, the more of those, those pieces of friction in the system we can take out, not only does it make it a smoother process to travel, but it actually makes it a safer process as well. Uh, I'm just feeling the weight of getting alignment with, you know, how many different regulatory bodies, how many different, and, and not everyone has the same mandate. Well, we're trying to remove friction. Well, no, we're trying to keep like increase safety. You know, we're trying to create more rules and regulations to limit this. And from working abroad to working in Canada, any difference in terms of the ability for those groups to come together? Just thinking about, because so much of that is also about culture, right? Of, of where you are and who you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, definitely, uh, Canada being such a large country yeah, with multiple provinces and territories, I think that it, that's a, a complex challenge. Yeah, if you, yeah, when I was in Hong Kong, you know, it's a single state nation. You know, by the time you go wheels up, you're out of the country. Yeah. <laughs> so whereas in Canada, you, you got a few hours before you may, may cross the borders. And so uh, definitely between provincial and, and federal uh, legislation, I think that's the biggest barrier to some of the changes okay, here. Interesting. Yeah. And you know, whether it's um, privacy laws in regards to public health, um, and you know, I'm a massive privacy advocate, so I sort of I'm a biased person in this conversation anyway. That says you know, everybody should be uh, the, the controls around your information should be given to you, uh, and you should be able to manage that interaction with whoever needs access to the information. But you know, when you sort of ex- extrapolate that into an approach if you're flying internationally versus provincially, um, you're dealing with you know, different government agencies again, different technologies um, that's being used in each of the provinces, different maturity of that technology in each of the provinces, and, and on ultimately legislation that may get in the way of some of those improvements. It ties into a little bit of some of the reading I've done and very surface level on kind of the, you know, Canada's movement towards digital identity and where we sit on that stage, but like on a global level and the role that, you know, blockchain plays. And it's so interesting when you start talking about the problems we're solving and then the role of some of emerging technologies and where they are in that cycle of being merged in and what if it, let's be honest, what's a hypey headline and what's actually real. (laughs) And I'm, I'm sure you spend a lot of your time weeding through those two things before you make a decision. Well, if I had a dollar for every email I get from a random company going, have I got a deal to sell you? Here's a, here's yet another solution for digital identity. I've got thousands of those. There's lots of people trying to play in the space. Mm-hmm. And I think they're all, you know, they're all bespoke solutions. Yeah. This is, I think digital identity is the, is the new fintech at this point in time. It's kind of the, oh, the interesting. Big, yeah. Yeah. It's the next big thing. But like, you know, what you saw in the ad tech industry and happening now in the fintech industry is you get mass rationalization and aggregation in these companies. They start off and there's thousands of them. And a lot of them don't survive and a lot of them get acquired or acquired or absorbed into something else. And you're going to see something very similar in the digital identity space where there's so many different approaches right now and 99.9% of them are all going to go away. So, and some will be rolled up. Others will just go away because they never, they, they just ran out of, they ran out of fuel in the, in the engine, basically, AKA funding. So for yourself in your role, how much of, how much of your role, oh, I can only imagine the, the checklist of things in the day of, you know, keeping your team, you know, aligned and moving forward. How much for you is, you know, identifying and vetting some of these new opportunities? Like we have a problem to solve. Here's five different you know pieces of, of, of tech we could roll into it. Again, not that that would be all on you, but I can only imagine that's a significant part of for you and your team to really identify like what's real and what's what's kind of bullshit. <laughs> no, it is. Yeah, you know, there's a. There, you know, I'm actually part of a safe restart working group, 
as we call it, which is, you know, how, how do we, how do we get the industry to recover? Um, and yeah, a large portion of my role is looking at that. What is the things that get us up and running from the technology side? Um, whether it is, you know, vaccination passports and databases associated to that or technology in the, in the airports or even on the aircraft that can improve, um, that process as well. So I'd say, you know, we're, you know, we haven't been quiet during during the pandemic. We've been doing a lot of changes behind the scene, mm-hmm. uh, and that's you know, on one level, it's actually been we've been opportunistic because you know with, with less people on board, we've been able to put a lot of changes through faster than we probably normally would have been able to do. Mm-hmm. But you know, but now as we sort of transition from that, um, you know, a lot of my focus now is on the future. It's it's you know we're, we're stable. You know, we've got our operational control of our systems and, and making sure that everything remains safe. But in terms of sort of next steps, that's where we're pivoting to, which is what does a post-COVID world look like? Um, how can we leverage that? You know, the competitive landscape's changing again uh, as a result of, you know, I think each of the airlines is in different positions right now. Um, clearly with the, the announcement from Air Canada and the government uh, the other day, you know, that's, it's, a, it's a new development for them. So that'll, that'll mean changes for them as a result. But, you know, we're actually really focusing on how can we be a lot more competitive at the back end of this pandemic? Um, and you know, technology is a key enabler for that. hundred percent. And, uh, you know, w- for you guys, I'm assuming a lot of these initiatives were in place, but I can only imagine the last 12 months is, you know, like five years of innovation in five months. And there's all kinds of buzzy terms out there. I can only imagine that's been the same for you guys where things that were important now all of a sudden became urgent. Is that a fair, just to oversimplify it? <laughs> it, it is, but yeah. And there's also, we've been dealing with, you know, this incredibly uh, fluid landscape of government regulations and changes. And so yeah. that's, yeah, I think that's been a large uh, time consumer for us is that, you know, whether it's you know, a whole lot of extra information we have to capture as people are coming into the country or leaving the country. Uh, you know, we've been going, you know, we've been re- refunding people since I think it was October last year. So we've been you know, having to put you know, systems in place to make sure that we can capture that and, and you know, go through that process. So there, there's been a lot of transactional activity just on the fact that no one knows what tomorrow is going to be. You know, I heard this morning that there was discussions on you know, closure of provincial uh, borders. Yeah. yeah, I heard that as well. It, and so, you know, part of that challenge then is, you know, do we then have to look at you know, the the identity of the individual flying and making sure that, you know, they're not flying out of province? You know, there is you know, a lot of things that we have to systemize every time there's a, a government announcement, we catch the cold. That's so interesting. You know, just that as a concept and my, my own view of like, all of a sudden, does that does that require that you police that like that? And again, I know that I'm not asking for an answer. I'm just like the weight that comes with something like that of like, well, we're just an airline. That's not our responsibility to police that. But yet all of a sudden, maybe who's getting on your plane, man, the amount of responsibility and even the interaction with the public of having to be in that position as a business being forced into being the heavy handed person in their day telling them they can't travel like that. It's just very interesting because there's so much personal angst wrapped up and, and we all know everyone's tired of it. Everyone wants it to be done, but that doesn't make it that doesn't make it so. <laughs> it is, yeah, and, and I find you know, f- for the airlines are at the, at the at the tip of the spear in regards to implementing the policies, and so you know, we, we're kind of this this outsourced technology arm of the government <laughs> that every time there's a change, <laughs> the, we implement the controls that they're looking for, and, and you know, that's you know, that's a nature of the industry on one level, but it definitely comes with a lot of challenges because your priorities are constantly changing. 
Yes, uh, and and not and not always fully baked when they necessarily get announced publicly, and then all of a sudden you get the phone call or your your customers your CSRs get a phone call. What does this mean? And you're like, I didn't even know that. I didn't even know what's happening. I had some friends that were in Mexico when they were announcing the uh, the hotel stays, and he he was so frustrated with his with his airline because they couldn't answer his questions. I'm like, respectfully, I don't think they just they don't have the answers. They don't know. It was too early in the process. <laughs> How is um? And you can choose to answer this as you see fit. Um. How has how has been your government partner uh, provincially over the last little bit? And there's the media does its job, but I guess you're in the real sure. working. You're in those meetings. How, how has that been? Because the media has not portrayed it as amicable, or certainly, you know, our, our government hasn't been put in the best light. Oftentimes, over the last, time. I don't want. I wouldn't have wanted that job, so I'm going to be very careful not criticizing. But as a business, not all of us have to that have that stakeholder that kind of can influence us at the level that the government does for you guys, like you said. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, there is give and take in all these relationships. You know, it's you know, at the end of the day, we want to keep Canadians safe, and I think that's a joint, you know, a jointly agreed responsibility. So I don't, I don't think there's any argument on that. You know, clearly, you know, we'd all love the vaccinations to be rolling out significantly faster than they are. You know, we we see that as as the the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, you know, we see okay. that as a, as a key as a key enabler for the industry to recover. So, I think that's kind of where our focus is is heading towards, as opposed to lamenting over the various things that have happened in the past you know, or the controls that are put in place. You know, we, you know, we, we do think that the, you know, the quarantining process coming into the country um, is, is definitely problematic and needs to be removed um, for something that's more effective at the end of the day. Um, and, you know, but, you know, but I think at the end of you still come back to the same conclusion, which is the answer is getting the vaccinations roll out faster because everything else is a stopgap measure in, in, in lieu of that happening. I think that's really certainly for me the last couple of weeks that's become very clear that that is the that is the indicator that's going to allow us to get back to quote unquote the things that we all want to be able to do when we when we want basically freedom and uh, you're right everything is just a means of mitigating the risk until we get to a point that we're like okay I think I think we're quote unquote in in, in the clear which Again, we can't, it can't happen soon enough. Uh, back to a little bit, some of the work and the projects that you guys undertake. And you'd said something earlier, I think even, I mean, it might've been before we push record, but just thinking about, you know, transformation and the amount of projects it takes to do that. And, you know, in, in the quote unquote old days, I talked to companies like, oh yeah, we're on this 18 month or 24 year kind of digital transformation journey. And I think you said something even before we pushed record of like, or maybe we were recording, you said we had a team that took something that would be a six week initiative. We turned it out in two weeks. I guess I'm curious when you're managing out this larger strategy, but it feels like it's also a series of like, how quick can we get this done? Like the, the, the long-term strategy versus these miniature sprints of, of completing these things that are game changers for whether it's bringing teams back to work or whatever it may be. How do you balance those two? And how do you see that relationship even for companies trying to manage the now and the, and the, and the tomorrow? Well, I think you, we sort of have a, a couple of vital few items that you know, we focus on. And you know, one is, one is providing data at the speed of business. And, you know, that's a, you know, whether that's real time or otherwise, it's you know, it's about how do we provide meaningful insights at a point where it matters, so we can make a, a, a clear business decision that's going to change either a guest experience or a commercial decision or, or something else that we're doing operationally. And so, you know, and the key behind all of that is is speed to market. You know, we can't the, the days of these whole. Nine, twelve, eighteen, twenty-four month, whatever you know, transformational activities essentially says that that change is not part of your DNA. You're doing this one-off project to try and take you from A to B, and you hope you get there. And you'll spend lots of money on project managers and various others to get to the end of it. And you'll try and convince yourself that all the business benefits paid off. But at the core of that is, 
if you don't have a culture around learning, innovation, and growth, um, it doesn't matter what you do project-wise. And so what we've been focusing more on is how do we create that, that iterative mindset so that things are measured in weeks you know, or, or a month or a couple of months, but not half a year or, or 12 months as part of it. And you know, we've, been, you know, we've been in business for you know, 25 years. You know, we have technical debt just like every other company does. And you know, I can't change all that overnight. But what I can do is I can iterate through and focus firstly on business capability. You know, I think a lot of technology teams get caught up in all the buzzword crap you know, and <laughs> talk about cloud like it's meaningful to anybody at the end of the day. And, <laughs> you know, and I think you know, versus how can I actually transform the business for us to be more competitive? And that's where I, you know, I'm, I'm pivoting the team as well, is that no one cares what the acronyms are. It doesn't, you know, it's irrelevant what we're doing in that space. That's why we, we're the paid professionals to make those transitions. You know, it's a, you know, for us, it's about you know, getting out of fixed cost models into variables so that when we do have these, as we're seeing COVID, these huge ups and downs, I'm not carrying these incredible costs uh, for whether it's one plane flying or 180. I think that's you know, one, one part of it. But you know, if, I, if I keep talking to people about my cloud journey, um, people lose interest very, very quickly because it doesn't actually mean anything at the end of the day. As a leader, how, I guess, just curious, your own strategies of how do you keep it real for your teams? Because sometimes you you work on something and you got, you know, the head down kind of mindset. You don't always get to see the outcome. And I like what you said about your industry. It's very visceral. If we if we remove a friction point or we speed up X or we make the customer's experience better, we can see that and measure that. I guess, uh, how hard is it? Or I guess, what's your strategy for making sure that your team doesn't, it doesn't become abstract, like that the customer isn't this abstract entity that nobody knows about? <laughs> Well, well, I think it's it's being careful what you measure. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah where's, where do you hang the target? Yeah, yeah. It's you know, <laughs> if, if I give you measurements around how many servers you move from A to B, that's you know, I don't think a very meaningful capability. Yeah. Yeah. If I can you know, transform my cost base so I can actually free up working capital to focus on new capabilities or guest-facing features and stuff like that, then that's a far more you know, visible thing in terms of the changes that we're making. And so, you know, if, if I'm saving a dollar, it's because I want to spend it somewhere else. It's actually going to be of more value. So I think you know, where we do move away from sort of traditional technology measures um, and focusing more on where we actually spend our money and making sure that, you know, we're, as we transform the business versus maintain the business, uh, we can see that that shift of, of prioritization of where each dollar goes. When you look at the role that, that you know the, the chief technology officer, all the different acronyms that it's been over the years, from being like almost a cost center to the business to actually being a profit center to the business. Sounds like obviously that's your mindset. But you know, when did you? When has that kind of changed? Has that been? Has obviously it's accelerated probably through COVID. But it feels like even ten years ago, I had conversations, or even eight years ago, where companies leadership teams would look at it as a pure cost center. Where now clearly it's transitioned. I don't know. Is that just happening gradually in maybe different industries at different paces, or is that just the world we live in now that that this is your biggest opportunity? to create more value for your customers, technology. Mm. Well, I mean, you know, clearly, if it wasn't for technology groups, you know, even this conversation wouldn't be possible today. Touche, touche. Yeah, everybody had to send everybody home quickly. Um, you know, the, the, the world pivoted in such a quick, in such a fast fashion. Uh, and it was technology teams that made that happen. And like, we sent everybody home literally within two days, everybody was working from home when they started. Mm-hmm. And as I said, it was a, an overnight success two years in the making because. <laughs> 
Behind the scenes, uh, we've been doing a huge amount on network transformation and some of the broader collaboration capabilities that we have, but they weren't overnight things that we just could turn on. And as a result of long-term planning in those spaces, at those sort of point proof point moments where you suddenly see the value realized and everyone goes, wow, this is great that we have all of this. And so I, there's a, there's an element of slow burn required in technology because it does take time to get there. But you know, getting to your point, uh, a point where all of a sudden these things become visible and you know, that's a, the iceberg beneath which we've been working on slowly rises up out of the depths and you see the tip of the, the final result. And so, you know, I think the... And people historically are focusing on that sort of the tip of the tip of the iceberg and going, you know, I, I want my, I want my special toy and I want it now. And I think the challenge all technology groups have is as much as you could probably, you know, provide something faster, um, you may not necessarily be doing it in a way that has long-term sustainability or has long total cost of ownership associated to it, or it has to be reworked and completely thrown away in the next two years. And I think where technology teams aren't good at storytelling. So you either get the the order taker guys who go, yeah, okay, you asked me to give you this thing. I know it's probably not what we should be doing, but we're going to give it to you anyway, and we'll come back and have to fix it. And then you're just getting that technology debt that just keeps mounting as a result of that. Um, and then there's sort of the other 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 side of that is the group that just says, no, you can't have it. And then there's somewhere in the in the middle, which is, yeah, okay, yeah, yes, and and how do you actually sort of help people understand the right way of putting technology in place in order to accelerate. And so you know, when you talk about speed to market, you get speed to market by having Lego building blocks that you can combine in multiple different ways, not having to completely replace your blocks every single time you want to build something new. And that's, you know, I think the, the balancing act we always face because uh, everyone understands the house when it's finished. If it falls down in two weeks time, you know, which, which piece are you going to reward? And, you know, there is that, that sort of challenge where we, we reward the house being you know, the ribbon cutting of the house. And then we turn back to the builder afterwards and go, you've got all these defects, go and fix them. Yeah. And you got to be careful at the end of the day, as you say, careful what you measure and what you reward, because you know, sometimes um, what we reward encourages bad behaviors. Because yeah, that's because that's what we thought was important, and you know, I, I reserve the right to change my mind in the future. But when you talk about, I like what you said about the building blocks. Are we at that point where we're focusing a lot more on modular and the way to bolt things, and 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 like you said, variable to be able to scale them up and scale them down, versus and again, I want to be careful wading out of my territory here. But in the past, these massive, large legacy infrastructures that were just all encompassing of the organization, that to your point, created this massive technology debt that you couldn't just unplug and plug. It didn't work that way. Are we moving towards a world where it is more modular, that which consequently gives leaders way more flexibility to pull levers when a left hook called a pandemic or whatever comes next shows up out of nowhere? Mm-hmm. It's, it's definitely getting better. You know, the days yeah. of these big monolithic platforms that you go and buy you know, from your, you know, your SAPs and all these mm-hmm. companies, you know, that was how everyone worked in the past. You know, you'd have big monolithic things and you'd have multiple within one organization and try and you know, wire them together with duct tape and all sorts of other string to make it all happen. And then every time one of these things had to be upgraded, it was like a multi-million dollar, multi-year event you know, to try and make it all, all occur. And so I think that I think those days are definitely coming to an end. Um, the, the challenge around the modularization pieces or the components themselves is that the building blocks are pretty easy to see. 
Yeah. What is a customer? Yeah. Um, yeah. All these sort of yeah, core service pieces you can pull apart and say, these are the individual things that make up the organization. Um, the challenge is getting the, the space to create those components in the first place. Yeah, it's uh, You're always in this constantly delivering new capabilities at the same time you want to build this modularization so that you can start to go faster and faster. And so it's, you know, I think we're, we're getting closer. Um, definitely from our side of things, um, I, I can see a path to completion there, but you know, it's still still not not something you just flick a switch and it all happens. Yeah, no, it's kind of the in it in, in the business on the business, you know, almost the classic entrepreneurial yeah. dilemma of you're in so busy, so many many things I have to fix and hats I need to wear, but yet I still need to think about that two year from now event that we I don't know what it is. Like you said, being able to be, you guys had a forty eight hour, but or a success because of two years of work that sets you up to do that. So when you start thinking about longer term vision and, you know, again, how much you want to share or don't want to share, when you start thinking about the the unknown thing from two years from now, I guess, what are some of the things on your mind when you're starting to look forward thinking you're trying to solve so many immediate problems that to your point are being almost showing up on your desk weekly based on regulations, based on the pandemic cycle. There's still got to be a few moments in your day where you go, okay, I really make sure we don't lose sight of this two-year thing that we, we need to think about for the next left hook that comes. What's on your radar? Or maybe what advice can you give for companies that like are trying to survive now, but keep them thinking about the future? What's what's out there? I, mean, yeah, I think I sort of touched on it before. You know, contactless transitioning from places to places, I think, is a big ticket item. Uh, and that, uh, if you uh, if you pull it apart, there's digital identity in the middle of all of that. There is um, entitlement. You know, if I if I have something, am I entitled to something in there? Whether in the, in the case of the discussions today, if I have a vaccination or a vaccination certificate, can I get a vaccination passport? If I have a passport, can I do something with that passport? You know, there's and clearly there's a, a whole lot of privacy implications there, as well as an equality discussion and, and, and ethics in the middle of all of that as well. That I think is a, a interesting debate that's yet to really take off um, as part of that. I think it's so just. I think, I think it's brewing. I think that fire, that brush fire, is just starting to simmer right now. Actually, <laughs> and so yeah. So I think and it's going it's to simmer and, and probably flare up fairly quickly. I think when we get into this, and we see it now with. You know, Every every country is taking slightly different approaches to this problem, yeah. Yeah. And, and this is a solution. Well, this is a global problem um, that you know is being solved at a country level, and in cases provincial levels. And so you've got this sort of onion that you keep peeling every time. And as you say, when you when you start peeling onions, you ultimately start crying, and that's definitely <laughs> the case as it is today. So I think, so I think definitely around the sort of that, that contactless in general as a business model, you know, we, we were seeing whether it was payments, you know, this is a key piece of that, but you know, there's a lot of that in a lot of different industries that we're going to have. Uh, I think, you know, the, you know, in terms of identity for us, um, that's a big ticket item that we, we are looking at. And, you know, there's no good answers right now. There's lots of different solutions on the marketplace for it. You know, there's what is the role of government and identity as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just within, from a federal perspective, also at a provincial level. You know, all, look at, look at it as it is today. You know, driver's licenses are, are all different across the country. Yeah. So you, know, can, you can't use them as sort of a standard method for travel or, or identification um, if we were going to do it in a sort of systemic way. So I think, you know, there's those sort of you know, pieces where there's new emerging business models that go with that. Uh, and as as Canadians, which I can now say, <laughs> <laughs> nice, well, well, well played. 
Um, we need to take a Canadian approach to this. We have some of our partners uh, where we're coming up with this this platform that can uh, work across all of Canada, across all industries to to allow multiple different parties to authenticate something as you move from A to B. Yeah? And whether that is, you know, that you've got the right ticket to get into the concert or you've got the right you know, vaccinations or the, the right you know, testing as associated to that to, to move through, whether it's, whether it's planes, trains and automobiles. Um, I think, you know, that has, is something that is a, a country asset that needs to be developed as opposed to industries themselves doing it because all we're going to do is create more fragmentation and a really horrible experience where as a consumer, I'm now going to have 50 apps on my phone doing some small micro transaction because we haven't got a good holistic approach to this problem. And unfortunately, I would not say our track record for collaboration at this level is is stellar <laughs> to be to be just kind but candid. <laughs> I, I can't comment, but that may, may be an astute conversation, observation. But I-, <laughs> I just heard a story this morning. One of my, my managing director has a good friend who lives in New York City, and he went to, I believe he said a basketball game, but he went to Madison Square Garden for a sporting event, which the kind of the situation we're in, in in Canada right now, that seems like a very foreign concept. But he had to show on his phone that he had been vaccinated. And like, just thinking about what we're talking about now, like that's one event, that's one incidence. But when you unpack that on a global, provincial, state level, just country to country, even if they both happen to be English speaking countries, let alone traveling abroad, like the complexity of that and the, and that concept blows up almost, almost immediately before you even take one step forward. It's, but you're right. Where, where are we headed? I love the entitlement concept that you, that you brought up of what we're entitled to and why should I be entitled to it? And you shouldn't because somehow it goes against my values. And this quickly moves beyond whatever technology, technology needs to support this thing. But man, we've got so many moral and personal and ethical and privacy dilemmas to get through. I, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm expressing my overwhelmness as I'm talking. <laughs> well, it is. And like, if you sort of, you know, look, look at a future state of like, if, you, if you're boarding an aircraft and so in my ideal world, uh, and our ideal world is contactless boarding. So you, so you don't even have to talk to anybody. And so you have this, you know, a gate that you go through and it has, whether it has three lights or four lights, you know, so the first light turns green and that's us saying we've got a valid ticket to be on the aircraft. You know, the next light turns green and that's CBSA saying, for whatever reason, they're letting you get on the aircraft. You know, Transport Canada's next light goes green and for their reasons, you're able to get on the aircraft. So maybe the last one's public health. But where, where I think the privacy piece is really important in this is that I, as an airline, I, I don't care why those other three lights went green. I just care that they go green. Yeah. And the, the mechanics behind it and the logic and everything else within that. So if public health um, has a light that goes green because you're, you're vaccinated or there's a certificate or other reasons that they come up with for, for whatever person, yeah, the individual's reasons for being vaccinated or not, is that we don't need to know it. We don't want to know it. Because, you know, if you're in this sort of denied boarding because that light went red, you know, we're, you know, we're not in a position to judge or comment in that process. And so I think that's going to be the interesting challenge from a privacy perspective is that the, the reasons for approval or not, or not approval need to be between yourself and that issuing authority, not us enforcing that on somebody else's behalf. You might not be in the position to be informed, but you're certainly in a position to be blamed when that light turns red. That's a, you're just thinking of the reality of the weight of that situation. I love how the simplicity of 
the red light, green light concept, but what is the, the, I'm picturing a video where it just like starts to spider web out of what's behind each one of those lights and what it takes to make that work. But as a consumer, I just want the light to go green. Like I honestly don't care. I just want right. a green light. So and and human nature is, yeah, is, is where, yeah, <laughs> as an airline, we're at the gate trying to help you onto the aircraft is that you know, we're at the, we're at the point of the implementation of those policies, which makes it, yeah. yeah. Puts us in. A, we've got incredible staff that do all that work, but it also puts them in a difficult position at those times when that light does go red, because you know, at the end of it, we are in, we are enforcing regulations and policy that you know that are that are asked of us, which is fair. But you know, in terms of the reason why the light went red or green, we don't control. And when you think about the journey through the airport, from the security being managed by the airport authority to what happens when you're at the specific gate to what happens even in the vendors that are in the in the, in the cause, like so many interesting, like how many people need to come together to make that function, and we're about to add a significant level of of complication to create more safety. Ultimately, we're more complicated to create more freedom. Really, ultimately, is what we want here. Mm-hmm. It is, and I, I do think we can do. You know, we can provide these inf- inf- enhanced checking processes. And still keep privacy at the core of it as well. And that's sort of what we're working through that says, you know, empower the individual as part of that process. So that, you know, when, when they are being asked to validate one of those checkpoints, they approve to have their information released for that particular transaction, not, not a blanket approval for, for ad infinitum and forever. So that's, I think that the, the interesting privacy challenges ahead of us is that, mm-hmm. you know, Governments around the world will all be different in terms of this, in terms of how much information they want to keep. Uh, you know, we have privacy laws in place that, that um, don't allow a lot of that sharing as it is today. And so I, I kind of look at that and go, well, let's preserve that, but actually just make sure that that relationship just stays between that government authority and the individual. And, and, and I'm okay with that. And, and as an individual traveling, I'm okay to release that information because we've already, we've already established that relationship between one another as it is. But you travel to other parts of the world and other jurisdictions and other countries where they treat privacy and our right to privacy very, very differently. Like it, get, it gets so complicated. Yeah. So I'm just keep digging, digging up more. But, you know, talking with some, I know a few companies that are playing in that digital identity space and that ability to, to give access, but then take it away and to like have the individual in control of that when it comes to, you know, credentials, wallets and things like that. It's, it's all floating around, but it's still, it's still very early days. Like you said, it's all, it's, it's, it's all good PowerPoints right now. Like, where's it going to be when it actually shows up? Yeah, it's, it's, it's theoretical at best right now because, you know, at a, at a technology level, the answers are pretty simple. I don't think it's a complex problem to solve here. Uh, but the 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 privacy, the ethical considerations are way bigger than the technology itself. That's it. I love it. We're in a world of technology that you know, technology is not the limiting factor, which is which is just an amazing time to be alive from that factor. But it brings so many other things into it as technology isn't just technology anymore. So hey, let's pivot a little bit. This maybe feels like it's maybe being a little bit heavy at the end of this. So you and I chatted a little bit offline from a from a fu- from a future perspective in terms of travel. You guys are definitely planning, thinking, seeing, and again, not quoting you here, but that uh, there's starting to be some bookings for the fall. Like let's let's end on a positive note, shall we, Stuart? <laughs> That from a travel perspective, you guys definitely see some more activity, hopefully coming back into our into our amazing nation here by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think you know what we can see from the, the traveling public is well, I think people want to travel. Yes. <laughs> I, yes. I, the, I, yeah. I will speak for a party of one. Yes, I do. Uh, so, yeah, and, and we can see that, and you know, you know, when we keep getting sort of changing you know, openings and closures and things like that, it makes it difficult for us to manage our planning uh, throughout the year. And so, but we, but we are seeing you know. 
you know, green shoots at the end of the year you know, that people want to travel. You know, we do have flights loaded uh, for that time of the year. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's our hope that you know we get far enough ahead on the vaccination side of things to, to start to create you know, some sense of herd, immu- herd immunity and get ourselves to a position to, to reopen the borders. And so you know, we, we see that you know, we see the light. Um, there's a few, I think, there's a few hurdles in the way still, uh, especially right now when we've got this you know, significant spike again in cases as it stands. But again, um, I think we're cautiously optimistic, even with the challenges that, we, that we're seeing today. Well, hopefully this this episode will come out a few weeks from when we recorded it. So uh, hopefully by then people will think we're we're speaking about the past when because we've moved now to a different place as we get into May and, and the future. That that's my that's my hope that we sound dated within a couple of weeks of some maybe some of our comments. Stuart, I really appreciate one coming on the show. Thank you so much for your time. I can only I can only imagine how much you've got going on in your day, but also the insights on something that I think there isn't many of us that this doesn't affect us. And you know, yes, it's it was a technology conversation, but really what it's talking about is mobility and freedom and the role that you know WestJet and all the airlines play. And certainly as a freedom, like I just want to be able to do what I want to do, and the airlines play such a huge part of that. So thank you for the work you do and everything you're doing to create an environment where we can get back to just going on a trip, <laughs> even just across the across the country let alone across the world <laughs> yes no, I'm, I'm looking forward to jumping on there as well you know, one, of, one, of, one of the 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 joys actually of being an executive at, um, at WestJet is that when I fly I get to do the announcements on the aircraft I get to help the, the, the team clean up as well so if you're flying and I'm on board I'll be happy to walk you on board and if I'm helping you clean up after your meal I'm happy to do that as well well, I, I look forward to I look forward to formally meeting you in that in, in that environment, uh, Stuart. Uh, obvious, anyone wants to, to learn any more, check out WestJet. We're all this. I have a pretty big Calgary Calgary audience, so no no need for introductions there. If someone wants to reach out and get a hold of you or contact LinkedIn, is there is there a preferred is there an avenue that you'd recommend? Yeah, I mean, obviously, if I'm on a plane, you hear me announcing. That's one way you can just <laughs> drag me aside. Um, LinkedIn, I'm there as well. That's probably the easiest way of tracking me down. Fantastic. Stuart, thanks for your time today. Thank you for your insights and it was a pleasure having you on. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.